This is Security Download, your ultimate source for the latest developments in private security. Host Honor Redmond will bring you the inside scoop, groundbreaking trends, and exclusive interviews with leading experts in both residential and business security. Security Download is powered by Brav, delivering tech-forward, customer-service-focused private security. Hi, and welcome. On today's show, we have a very special guest joining us. I am so, so excited and honored to introduce him. He's the author of Security Integrated Guarding, the chief executive at Overwatch Capital. He has a really interesting background, which is a perfect fit for this show. Um, and in addition to all of that, he's truly leading the charge for innovation in the security sector. Please welcome Steve Muntean. Hi, Steve. Hey, Anna, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good, good way. Thank you so much uh, for having me on your show, and I look forward to reconnecting. Yeah, so I'm going to dive right in. Um, first big question, we tend to talk a lot about security from the perspective of people in the hiring seat that are trying to kind of build out their security solutions, whether for uh, their properties or for their office buildings. So question for you, what do you see these people doing wrong, the people that hire security? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think the people hiring security are in a very, very difficult position, right? They typically have a fixed budget uh, that they're operating within in a plethora of, of choices, ranging from kind of low speed to high tech. And the biggest mistake that I see in people hiring security is the industry is somewhat commoditized, or at least that's their viewpoint, how they feel. And it's really comes down to price, you know, and they're looking for that extra quarter, 50 cents, dollar per hour. And in reality, there's so much baked into that, so much risk and liability also baked into that, that they really need to take time to understand, A, what their security challenge is and how they can solve it holistically, not just putting boots on the ground and a guard at the gate. And I think B is really understanding the different alternatives out there and what those alternatives um, can do both as an asset side. So how can they protect my asset? How can they help my brand? And also B from, or C from a liability angle to understand, do they have the proper liability insurance? Are they staffed or how long have they been in business for? Do they service this type of asset? Do they have experience doing that? What's their organizational structure look like? So I think it's a multifaceted um, approach that that property managers and owners and folks that are hiring security really need to take in order to uh, to make the, the best decision possible. So you touched on something really interesting in there, which is understand what your security needs are. Um and I have found, you know, in talking to people that are hiring, like I have consistently been surprised at how much misconception there is about what the security need actually is, but also about um, what security can do and how they can solve it. Um, I, I guess the first question is, do you agree with that? Have you seen the same thing? Yeah, I, th I think there's a lot of approaches that you can take and a lot of problems to solve generally when it comes to security. Um, so yes, I do agree with you. And so how would you guide someone, you know, let's say, and, and the other thing that is always really curious to me is that the person hiring security is not always someone who's spent like lots of years in their career hiring security. And sometimes someone comes in, they're actually kind of newer to the job. Um, and you may be able to step in and like pick a cupcake vendor, right? Never having done it before. Um, you could pick 
potentially like into an interior designer for your office, never having done it before. Um, but for security, I found there's, there's just so much nuance and so much granularity here um, that if someone's kind of stepping into that role for the first time uh, and they have a general sense, like what's your guidance? Like how would you sit down and talk that person through this notion of like, how do I think about what my actual needs are and what I'm solving for? Yeah, I think, I think you really need to take time to understand what's the business goal around security. And if you're new into that role, if you're a leader, the one, if you're a leader and you're, you're looking to hire security or that's your role, really getting an understanding of why are you hiring security? So what are they there to accomplish? And I think in terms of vendor selection, um, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs. And so mm -hmm. I think interviewing uh, different companies and having a baseline of what you're looking for and really finding that right fit to help you understand and peel back the questions that you're asking to make sure that A, they're the right questions. And then also to better understand, does this fit my organization, right? Mm -hmm. Does this fit my budget? Does this fit the infrastructure that I have? Does this fit our actual business goals? Mm -hmm. um, so that's where I would start if uh, if I was a, a newer um, consumer of security is I really understand what is that business goal that I'm looking to accomplish with security. And how do you tell the difference between vendors? One thing I hear a lot is, um, you know, we talk to a lot of security companies and gosh, other than price, a lot of them sounded the same. And it makes me wonder if the reason so many clients choose on price is because they're just struggling to see a clear differentiation outside of that. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you think about security in general, it's it's been commoditized to some extent. If you're looking at it for that lens and that angle, and you're focused on, I want to put a security guard or a security officer at a fixed site for X amount of hours, let me compare apples to apples. But a lot of times you have apples to oranges. And so you're not really comparing the same commodity um, if you think about it. And so a $30 per hour um, dedicated guard with company A um, might not be the same as company B if they're layering technology, they have different recruitment and selection processes, they've been in business for a while, they have pre the prerequisite insurance. So there's a lot that can go into how you select and hire um, a security vendor. But I think establishing a baseline of uh, 10, 10 or 15 questions that you can ask each one of your security um, prospects that you're looking to hire um, will help you get a better understanding. And it sounds like you know, if you've been doing this for a while, there's also that gut instinct. Mm -hmm. uh, you can typically tell if they're going to give you the right amount of service or if they're overselling and, and under-delivering. Um, I've been doing this for, for quite a long time and, uh, and I've realized that um, the apples and orange concept is a real thing in security because when people hear security, it is somewhat commoditized and they do think security is security is security. It's the same exact thing. Well, it's not. And I think with technology evolving, um, that really presents opportunities for, uh, for innovation in this space. And so when you go through that checklist, I think it's going to be an interesting um, discussion when you're comparing your different security opportunities and security vendors, if they can really accomplish um, what you need and if they have the right tools to do so. And you touched on two things in there. One is uh, throughout the course of your career, and you have an amazing background, and I am excited to talk about that next. Um, but before we even jump into that, um, 
you sort of baited me with this, like you should have 15 questions. So I, I have to turn it back to you. Um, give us at least, you know, four to six of what you think should be on every hiring person's list of those questions. Wow. All right. Four to Three six. Three to five. I, I don't know. <laughs> give, us, give us a couple to get us started. Yeah, I think first is I want to understand um, who are the owners? So who are the individuals responsible at the end of the day to making sure that that service is delivered? Because when you look into when you look at a security partnership, at least for me and my portfolio companies, um, it is a true partnership because you both take on um, a service model. And so understanding who's the ownership structure, you know, what does that look like? Um, what's their background? Mm -hmm. um, probably would be the first piece that I would that I would want to understand. The second is how long have they been in business? So we see a lot of security companies, you know, pop up and shut down, pop up and shut down. And a lot of that happens due to liability. And so they may have a big claim and not be able mm. to get reinsured the following year. And they may price mm. well below everybody else. But at the end of the day, the, the person that's hiring them um, can't typically just shut down and, and go do another, another company. I mean, they're stuck with this major liability and problem. Um, because they didn't do their due diligence in hiring. And so understanding how long have they been in business, um, who, what is the ownership structure, what's that org chart look like, I think is really important. I would also take a look at their technology. So, you know, in 2023, there's still security guard companies that are handwriting reports. And the technology has been out there for almost 15 years to digitize that. Mm -hmm. And they have. And so I think you'll find a lot of really interesting capabilities available in the space, and if they haven't necessarily adopted those technology, I think uh, I think that's a that's a warning sign and a red flag as well. Um, and then last but not least is really getting to know um, the security officers and the managers um, that are going to have um, going to be deploying on your site and really building that relationship um, to make sure that you can build that build that relationship and understand this is going to be the officer that's actually working. Yes, I've done my due diligence. I know the owners of the company. I, I know the board. I know the, the C-suite, um, mm -hmm. but who's actually working the property? Mm. And if one of those folks in the C-suite is working the property, then that's a whole different discussion and an issue. <laughs> so, oh, so, I think so, so you see that as an issue. You don't see that as a plus necessarily if they're putting some senior, because I could imagine some clients could see that as like, oh, this is a very small company. I'm getting the attention of a super, super senior level person. You read it differently. I do. Yeah. Okay. I have a strong opinion um, on that. Now, I think it's great. And, and the owners and, and C-level seats should be on the property, should mm -hmm. be having the face time, should be looking at the assets to really understand um, the fundamentals of what's happening on the ground at that account or that property. Um, but if they're, if they're the ones that are actually pulling the shifts, which typically are in the evenings, how are they running a company? How are they making oh, sure yeah. that they've got the right standard operating procedures in place? How are they running payroll? How are they um, doing the hiring, the firing, the recruiting, um, the day-to-day -day management um, that, that's involved in, in running a successful business? Mm -hmm. uh, there's no way that you can do that and, and pull shifts. And also, if you're kind of the first through third customer, um, I'd probably want somebody else in that role testing out that company and that mm -hmm. platform. Um, so to me, when they hit a certain scale point, um, that's when I'd be ready to, to take the company on. But, but no, I would not want uh, a C-suite team uh, pulling security guard shifts at my property. See, it's so interesting. And, and so now we have some time to talk about your background, which I think, um, you know, to me really informs part of your answer here even. So when Steve and I first connected, I was 
so excited because I, you know, I found the people in security typically fall into one of two camps. There's the person who had a fantastic career in the military or the police or so some branch of the armed forces, and then has decided to enter the private sector, has started a security company, um, has fantastic know-how in terms of the security side, maybe is playing catch up a little bit on the business front. Um, then there's the flip side, which, you know, candidly, I'm in that camp of someone who sees a business opportunity, does the legwork, learns about security, and is really bringing in people who can help fill in the security portion of it. And, and you know, at least with Brav, certainly we've got exceptional people on our team working with us. Um, Steve covers both and really moved so seamlessly between, you know, having this deep business know-how and a lot of business success. And then, well, you, you know, you can, I don't want to tell your story for you, but maybe you can walk us through how it is that you have the best security resume of anyone I've ever met. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, it's definitely been a journey and happy to give, you know, two minutes on, uh, on my background. So uh, after undergrad, I got involved in a technology startup that was in GPS. And if you remember the Garmin's and the TomToms, they're the size of a brick and uh, you put them in your front windshield and they, they told you where to go. Um, we were kind of a third tier player in that market. I was uh, sort of executive number three, company worked out really well, timing and lighting was perfect. Everybody had to have one in their stocking stuffer and uh, it ended up exiting. And uh, the same executives were working on a technology um, project called GPS tracking, which around that time in 2006, seven, eight, that was relatively unheard of technology, um, particularly in the civilian sector. And so I became the CEO of that company and we scaled it rapidly and worked on projects from everything from uh, delivery trucks to, uh, to military um, agencies or civilian and military agencies. And, uh, and it worked out really well. I ended up exiting that company and was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do uh, with the rest of my life. And so I always had a passion for law enforcement. And so I went into law enforcement. And, and I, want, I, I want to pause you there for a second. I actually didn't ask this question before. Sure. Where did that passion come from? Is there is there a story? Did something happen? Or this was a childhood dream? Yeah, you know, I think if you look, if you look back, at least my my purpose and my passion story, um, I've always wanted to help people and uh, save lives you know, figuratively and literally. And so that gave me an outlet to do that. Um, and so, you know, I was very passionate about it. And once you get involved in any industry, um, it's, uh, you know, it's not always as it seems per se, but law enforcement was an absolute tr tremendous opportunity. But while I was there, um, there was also a lot of interesting things going on in the macroeconomic markets. Uh, Lehman failed, you know, we had the recession, housing prices uh, mm -hmm. falling out of the sky. And, uh, and there was a big gap between law enforcement and security at that time. So security, the traditional uh, mall cop, polyester uniform, top hat flashlight, and then you've got law enforcement who is primarily responding to calls for service, um, doing tactical investigations, all that sort of stuff. But there was a big gap um, in between. And so I, had my, I always have my entrepreneur hat on. And so while I was in law enforcement, uh, I noticed a big gap. And I bought a security company that was a, a distressed asset and ended up layering a bunch of technology um, experience that I gained from working in tech and in GPS mm -hmm. with routing efficiencies and mobile optimization and, uh, and started literally from, uh, from scratch. And so I uh, had a shell and started looking for customers. You know, who is going to be the best target market in this down economy? And it turned out to be REITs, 
So real estate investment trusts that are holding on to these big assets, um, they're having trouble. And so we deployed this tech-enabled security model in 2010, and uh, and it worked out really well. And so one thing led to another. We ended up uh, uh, investing in a few more companies, and I went from entrepreneur to operator to investor. Mm-hmm. And you know, fast forward 13 years today, and I'm a CEO of Overwatch Capital, and we have a portfolio of tech-enabled security companies um, that really focus on taking the traditional um, security guard services or security services companies, layering a bunch of technology, data, analytics, mm-hmm. um, financial modeling, mm-hmm. and transforming them into a kind of fast, uh, fast-growing uh, venture-backed portfolio of tech-enabled security companies that are really changing the way that security is deployed and changing the way that uh, that we impact our customers. So it's been a very exciting journey. Um, lots of other stuff in between that, but uh, but in general, went from entrepreneur um, to law enforcement to operating executive to investor. That's amazing. That's a movie. I'm seeing like um, Fauda meets Succession right there. <laughs> You've got the two sides. So, you know, you kind of skipped over this, but what was the reaction to, you know, you show up at the police academy, right? Because that's what, where you went to train. Um, and you, you've had this major exit, right? And you could afford to, you know, take off to, to Paris for the weekend. And you're like, tell me a little bit about, did everyone look at you and they were like, what, like, what the heck are you doing, man? Or did they totally get it? Yeah, that's a fun, funny story. So no, I mean, they, they didn't totally get it. And, you know, we were just like everyone else. And you come in, you're in a uniform, uh, you know, crew cut, clean shaven. The drill instructor doesn't care, you know, who you are or where you're but from. Wait, was that hard? Were you like, I'm used to calling the shots. You're doing this wrong. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was a year. So our, mm-hmm. my, my academy that I went through was a year long. And I'm grateful for everybody that I've, that I've worked with. And I spent eight years in law enforcement. And so just kind of becoming... Wow sitting on one side of it and then yeah. eventually becoming an instructor and sitting on the other side of the table and uh, and teaching and instructing both recruits and in-service um, state and federal officers. It was a really fantastic experience, but yeah, it was a journey and I learned a lot. Um, and also, you know, during that time, the, the entrepreneur and the business hat, you know, kept running. And so I was working on models, you know, while I was in the academy and when I got out and um, I think it really helped our business model, not so much that the law enforcement experience that I had, um, it was the relationships mm-hmm. and the connections and actually seeing how it's done and then making partnerships with, with law enforcement agencies um, across the country has been extremely helpful in, in growing and scaling our businesses. That makes a ton of sense. And I had missed the part where you stuck it out for eight years. That's amazing. When you tell the story, it almost sounds like you know, it was like a one-year blip or a one-and-a-half-year blip, but but eight years is a real chunk of time. Yeah, well, I was I was on reserve duty for a significant portion of that. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I entered into a contract with my agency, and so yeah. you know, you really can't leave um, yeah. when when you graduate the academy, which I didn't. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity growing security businesses um, and working in law enforcement at the same time in parallel, doing the one weekend a month, um, you know, two weeks a year for several years. Um, it was a fantastic, fantastic opportunity and, um, and grateful for, for that experience. Did it make you view the on the ground security work differently? Like, was there a different level of like empathy and identification that came from that experience? 
Yeah, I think it, it helped help me put things into perspective and explaining to clients um, the perspective of really three different angles. One, you know, a business business guy, two, um, former law enforcement, yeah. and three, you know, security um, executive. And so it was really interesting in, under, in helping articulate to them, you know, why the police can't be there in a minute. Mm. Right? Why they're not just sitting at your property, you know, writing reports. And why that just that just doesn't happen, you know, regardless of what you want, because they're under a significant amount of operating pressure. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm sure we're all familiar with with what's happening in our um, socioeconomic environment and just this this unbelievable um, strain that's happening with law enforcement and first responders around the country. And a lot of times that's missed by business executives, particularly in the REIT market, where they're paying a significant amount of taxes for those services and not necessarily getting them. And then I have to turn to, to private security services um, or technology to help uh, maintain or improve that asset value. And so I think being there and having the, the different viewpoints mm -hmm. of, you know, from the business side, from the investing side, from the security side, and from the law enforcement side has been really helpful to articulate um, our goals, but also understand and then rearticulate their goals back to them in perspective of this is reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that really resonates. Um, where have you found that the security and the client viewpoints diverge the most? Where you really need to finesse and you you put on your security hat and you're like, well, here's how your security team sees it. Yeah. So when I, when I mentioned before, yes, what, what do you ask questions for to make sure you're getting a successful security company? And for me, it's really having an executive team and a management team to cover your blind spots mm -hmm. and really help the customer get a 360 degree perspective mm -hmm. of what their needs are and how we can deliver that service. And so when we're sitting with a customer, you know, it's not just me or, or an operations manager or a COO, you know, it's a, it's multiple, it's a multitude of different um, resources, you know, everything from sales to customer service mm -hmm. to operations. So we can help cover their blind spots to better understand what their business objectives and how security can help. And a lot of times it's financial modeling to understand mm -hmm. here's how security can actually generate you revenue. And Tell a lot of times straight from an expense perspective. Yeah. Dig a little deeper into that. What What's an example? I think if if you do have um, a security platform and you've thought it through, or you picked the right company, picked the right operators, um, you're deploying it for the right reasons, I mean, it should be able to do a couple of things for you. I think one, it's going to increase the value of your asset, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's you know from hospitality to commercial real estate to multifamily housing to HOAs, um, they will add value. Um, second, it's going to, it should reduce liability, essentially, you know, if it's deployed right, both from the security guard side and managed properly from the ownership or property management side, um, it could reduce your insurance premiums. You know, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, people want to live in a safe environment, want to work, live and play. And so if, if deployed right, um, everybody should, should be able to do well with a security services deployment that's thoroughly thought through and technology is an important element of that. Yeah, and and we'll get to that in a minute because I think that's that's such a big and interesting part of your background. Um, but before we head that way, you said something else that really caught my attention, um, specifically around client blind spots. And at this point, obviously, you, you've worked with so many different clients, and frankly, in different capacities. Um, what are are there a couple of like typical client blind spots that you see coming up often? Yeah, I think is the the client blind spots. I mean, it really depends on the industry. 
mm-hmm. and what you're trying to solve for. Yep. Uh, if you're contracting with the federal government, that's typically a different process than sure. contracting with uh, the local apartment community. Mm-hmm. And so I think they do have different blind spots depending on what industry it is. Um, I can give you an example for, um, you know, say for multifamily housing, for instance, um, typically the individuals that are responsible for the security uh, provisioning, the security contracting, the day-to-day management are property managers. Mm-hmm. And they're typically not trained in security and they are wearing multiple hats. Everything from, you know, operating the assets to collecting rent to making sure, you know, moves, ads, and breaks are, are fixed and um, painting, doing turn, you know, you name it, they're really, really busy. And so I think having um, having the knowledge in terms of how to you know hire and then manage um, the vendors properly is really important. I think a lot of mm. property managers, just in say in that specific industry, you have a hard time doing that. They're not security experts, and they're yep. wearing multiple hats, um, working on multiple projects. So to me, it's a it's a multifaceted approach, and I think important to have. Um, somebody that can be committed to it and has some experience doing it and has selected the right vendor that can help coach and bring, um, bring them up to speed as well in the process. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that's sort of the thing that we touched on earlier where, you know, the person bringing security on, if they're less experienced, um, you know, they have, they have work ahead of them, right. Getting up to speed so that they have the right solution. Um, what's a, you know, in terms of the management portion, that that's also a, a super interesting and valid point, right? Because it's not just hiring, it's then managing. And I have been surprised by how often, you know, even in our research launching broad, as we've talked to different stakeholders um, and have asked questions of like, well, how do you think about this? How do you think about that? And I've gotten this answer of, well, you know, we assume that's on the plate of the security company. They'll figure it out. And I've kind of looked at it as like, well, you know, whatever they decide really impacts you. So gosh, you better either be confident they're figuring it out the right way or be in the room when that decision is made. Um, so, so what are your, you know, give us a couple tips for the person that then is managing security services. What are things to keep top of mind? Yeah, there's, there's really, there's two things that come top of mind. Um, one is trust but verify. So, you know, trust what your vendor is saying, but you should be able to verify them on uh, reporting. So nightly reports, check the nightly reports, make sure that the officers, you know, showing up on the shift, scanning the QR codes, is logging the, mm-hmm. the entry points, whatever it is, um, verify it. You don't have to do it every day, but if you start doing it enough, that rolls into my second point, um, you really can't uh, measure, uh, or you really can't manage what you don't measure. And so having a lot of those data points and understanding what they are and holding the team accountable, not mm-hmm. only the boots on the ground officers, but also the management company, and then even the management team staff, um, holding them accountable as well, being able to measure the data points that you get from your security company so you can help better manage them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense, sort of. And in some ways, I feel like it's true of so many other industries, right? And you would think to that you'd measure and, and kind of track what your caterer is doing or what your janitor is doing. And, and sometimes for security, there's a sense of like, it's so different that it's harder or more complicated. Um, but it sounds like a lot of the same things apply. Um, before, before we kind of close the loop on your background and kind of dig into tech and future of security, um, I need to know like, what's, what's the funniest or craziest story you had from your police days or from your training days? 
Um, or what was the hardest? What was the hardest thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think the hardest thing for me personally was just uh -huh. juggling both being in law enforcement and running startup and doing a startup and then investing in other companies and doing multiple startups at the same time. Um, that was that was tough and challenging. Um, I think also, you know, when I wasn't in law enforcement, just the environment I think changed a lot from when I started to where to where it is now. Um, and the same goes in for security and, and a lot of first responders. And so um, you know, having a target on your back uh, as a CEO and executive and also, you know, a law enforcement officer, it just makes you think differently. So uh, you know, changing your life and putting certain inputs in for safety uh, and security um, while being in law enforcement was was really interesting. And so I think got a lot of fun operational stories and some bloopers. Um, mm -hmm. Definitely. But the biggest impact I think it had for me was you know, managing um, that kind of law enforcement uh, life, being an entrepreneur, operator, investor, and also the family side as well. Sure. Um, was tough. And eventually it became you know, too much to juggle and our companies grew significantly and I had other priorities. And that's why I stopped in law enforcement, but, um, but definitely miss it. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like you continued making a difference, right? So that part you certainly pulled forward into your present life. Mm -hmm. And in fact, one could argue maybe you're you're creating broader impact today than what you felt you could do as, you know, one person in law enforcement. Yeah, I absolutely like to think that. I mean, it's the point-to-multi-point approach where, you know, you have to learn those basic fundamental skills um, and experience. And, you know, being an instructor was fantastic because you got to learn for the practical elements of how to do the job first, and then you get to teach it and improve on it to other law enforcement um, you know, folks. And that was, that was very rewarding, um, particularly in what, what my niche was. And so uh, it was, it was a great experience. And doing the same in business. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's the greatest reward seeing people grow and grow companies and make money and have impact and help our customers. And so, yeah, I think it has definitely um, blossomed and I'm looking forward to the next you know 20 years in doing this. Are there any training practices that you pulled out of your your time as a trainer within police into security? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a significant amount of that, particularly from the operational side, you know, everything from you know, how we deploy and train firearms to first aid to, you know, less than lethal weapons. So there was a whole uh, dynamic and where we trained both on the tactical side um, and also on the strategic side. You know, how do you interact with law enforcement? Report writing. Right? Mm. How, do you, how do you write a good report? Because that's pretty important in security. It's one of the main fundamental um, components of the job is you know observing and reporting. Yeah. Um, so I took a lot of that away. I mean, we're not you know in our in our security company, we're not you know kicking in doors and clearing sure. rooms and sure. things like and you that. You shouldn't but... be right. That the ideal is that you manage it so that that never happens or nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's not the goal in you know, domestic security markets. I think some companies do that which there's an inherent amount of risk and liability associated with that. So if you do have a provider saying that they're going to do that, uh, <laughs> I would definitely be cautious uh, making sure that that you're covered um, on your end as well um, as a property owner, manager, et cetera. But yeah, there's a significant amount, I think, that security companies um, can take from you know, former military or former law enforcement mm -hmm. um, folks coming in to, to run and manage them. Um, I would say even more, though, from a business aspect, you really need to understand the model and have the business experience in order to run it. Yeah, well, for sure. And that's a big one. Um, you, you mentioned this this thing. I actually have not heard a lot about this. So I, so I have to ask, 
Um, in terms of security interacting with police, what what's sort of the best practice there? What needs to be learned on that front? So I'm not sure there needs to be uh, like an evolution between yeah. the interaction of security and law enforcement. Uh, I do think it's it's important to communicate and mm -hmm. give as much information as you can in real time so responding officers um, can get a description of a suspect, um, understand the location of where that suspect is, um, say if it's an active shooter situation, security guards likely going to know that building layout yeah. um, a lot more efficiently or be able to work through it a lot more efficiently and effective effectively um, to mitigate that risk and that threat. So I think it's just being a good resource and a good partner. Mm -hmm. um, like you know, you chose security per, for, as a profession, at least a lot of our, most of our officers do and a lot of our team members do, and you're doing it for a reason. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to do something else, great, but you know, you do have a responsibility to, to, you know, serve and protect to some extent, just yeah. like law enforcement does. Now you're in, we're operating in a much different capacity. Um, but, uh, but at least that's what we screen for in our recruitment and selection processes um, and making this a career, not just a job. And I think that when we do that, you'll find that interaction significantly um, enhanced. And a lot of our officers end up going into law enforcement. They go into a state or local you know, law enforcement agency. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I'm hearing sort of emphasizing the sense of duty in the career. Um, as opposed to I'm just passing through and, you know, to the extent that there are other careers that people feel really called to, that makes sense, right? Like there's some people that feel like, you know, they're called to be in medicine or in, you know, in food service to the extent that you're creating something beautiful. And I think that it's such a good point that security in a lot of ways is the same. And that's not always the kind of public impression that security gives off. And in the best cases, it does. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so I wanted to move on to a discussion of kind of tech and, and the future of security, because that's an area where as an innovator and an investor, you spend so much of your time. And I think a lot of your uh, insights and your thinking are really in this space. Um, so to kind of kick us off, what are some of the big transformations do you see in the future of security, uh, whether they're tech related or otherwise? Yeah, there's, there's two big ones right now that we're seeing the industry um, really evolve and, and transform around. And one is software as a service. So everything from kind of online reporting to uh, time and attendance tracking um, to um, to GPS tracking for vehicles and phones and mobile devices. So I think software as a service is is uh, is really growing um, significantly to help support security centric um, organizations, and that to me um, is really the force multipliers that can help take companies from good to great in our industry. Um, and then second is this real time video surveillance um, concept, so live video monitoring um, with cameras, and that to me is is uh, is probably the largest disruptor that's happening in our industry right now. It's extremely effective from a, from a security perspective. Um, it's cost efficient. So the cost to deploy a human mm -hmm. versus the cost for a video monitoring agent to watch multiple cameras is significantly less. And I think they do a better job, honestly. Yeah. I think video surveillance monitoring, um, if you have the proper camera infrastructure paired with a talk down speaker so you can communicate 
through the speakers to an individual, which we call like an intervention, mm-hmm. um, is going to have a significant impact on security, uh, particularly the security guard industry. And I think they can either um, innovate with it mm-hmm. and become part of the solution. So you can have a response mechanism in place. You can still have your dedicated security guards on site um, and work as a force multiplier. Or I think they're going to be in, they're going to have a really challenging uh, decade coming up. That's for sure. Um, what's a big success story that you can share about the use of video, or I guess the the marriage between video and in-person response? Yeah, I mean, we have several of our portfolio companies um, are in this tech space, so outside mm-hmm. of that traditional vanilla um, guarding services. And I think that that example that I previously provided where we have uh, one of our companies, Wide Eye Surveillance, is monitoring cameras in real time. And so when they see an incident, um, instead of having to call law enforcement who may take 10 to 15 minutes to get there, say a vehicle burglary, they're actually able to activate a talk down speaker that's already attached to the camera. And they could say, hey, you in the black hoodie, uh, drop the crowbar, the police are on their way before they have multiple incidents, right? Before they break into the 10th car. And so to me, that's been an absolutely amazing um, opportunity to engage um, without having that physical intervention. What they're also able to do is have pre-recordings deployed. So for instance, um, before the bad guy was even in the building, right? It could say, hey, thank you for visiting XYZ community Mm. store. This area is being live monitored. Thank you. Have a great day. So if they're hearing that, recording that audible, they'll typically go to to another place that doesn't have that and commit the crime there. Um, And so to me, that's, that's fascinating. And we have we have multiple case studies and so many successes of um, that sort of scenario. And also when something does happen and we do catch it, we're able to dispatch law enforcement in real time and give them the information of the suspect, have mm-hmm. the video ready for them so they can make an arrest on site. Um, there's a lot of really interesting um, opportunities that go with this technology component. And I think that that video um, intervention with a patrol or law enforcement response is the future. Is and so you found that most of the time the guy with the crowbar hears the video and is like, "Okay, you're you're right. I'll drop it." I, yeah, they do. Yeah. So they'll hear they'll hear the audible coming through the speakers on the camera that are mm-hmm. fixed. They're attached to it, and yeah, they'll typically drop it, run, leave whatever they're doing, get out, go somewhere else. Um, you know, the eye in the sky is watching. And a lot of times criminals, you know, don't bother looking to see if there's cameras in place because it's always after the fact recording. So no problem. I'll, I'll break into these cars or I'll commit this crime, mm-hmm. but they're not going to catch me because the car's stolen. Yep. Right. Or uh, they're going to catch it, you know, on Monday when, when everyone gets back in the office and tonight's a Friday night. And so then there's thousands of those, you know, cases happening in large metropolitan areas every day. And so to me, that's, that's really the future. And that's where we're investing time, energy, and money in, uh, in helping solve that issue. And that's really exciting. And so, you know, as a client thinking about that as a possible solution, um, where do you draw the distinction between, well, you know, for this situation, I probably still need a human being versus, you know, for this type of situation, for sure, cameras all the way. Yeah, and I think that goes back to to one of your initial questions. You know, as a as a as a security um, as a security buyer, you know, what do you really need? And I think you, you, the the purchaser of those services really knows the community best. And so we we call it integrated guarding, where we have a, a menu, you know, a variety of security services that we can offer. And it's really understanding what the client needs 
what their specific needs are, and then plugging and playing different avenues. Um, and I think that's why going with a security company who is tech enabling and has been doing this for a while mm -hmm. is important because you can offer a variety of different services. That's the best fit for the client versus the standalone. Here's a security guard. Yeah. Here's what we built per hour. That's about it. And I think yep. the majority of the security guard companies in the country are still operating that way. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is the clients basically decide based on what they need. There's not necessarily um, some set of inputs that you as a consultant can evaluate and be like, well, for this situation, you need this, for this situation, you need that. Yeah, so I think that our, our, our security, our physical security yeah. companies, video surveillance companies, um, we, we don't perform the consultant task. Got it. I think that that's a that's a whole different avenue in security consulting, sure. which I highly recommend for for properties to do. Um, I think there's tremendous value in in having a security consultant do a proper site assessment, and then figuring out where they need to plug and play. You know, where can they add value? Um, what are budgetary concerns? Uh, what does what does the overall business picture look like? And then help aid the security company in their decision making, but. You know the consulting side. That's again a whole different, whole different ball game. I mean, when we go in, we're expecting that that our consumer um, has a general business idea of what yeah. they're looking to accomplish. And now they can say, "Hey, here's my problem. What can you do to help?" And we're ready to solve those problems um, in, a, in an efficient and effective way. Um, mm -hmm. But at least understand like, what's your budget. You know, sure, everybody would love to have, you know, twenty five armed. You know, off-duty police Working officer. Minimum wage. Yeah, you're right. All of that's just not, <laughs> not reasonable. So I think having an understanding of of what that is is pretty important. That makes sense. Um, so so that kind of dovetails into my next question. Um, you know, given all of the different hats you've worn and the different types of insights that you've had around security, um, is there a point of disagreement that you typically run into with other people in your industry? Can you clarify other people in our industry being well, like other other security owners? Oh, I, I was thinking people in security, like other folks who either run security companies or you know are are you know active somewhere within the security ecosystem. Where you're like, this is my belief, and they're like, Steve, you're wrong, and you're like, no, you're wrong, and here's why. I have all this, you know, insider data to back it up. Yeah, and that's a great question. So, so the answer is no. I mean, I think the majority of the people that are security owners, operators, investors that I that I work with, um, we're all pretty much on the same page about the industry, mm -hmm. technology, the evolution. I think the biggest challenge that they have, and where there's some disagreement, is how do we get there? Mm. So we've made you know a bunch of steps, uh, process, procedures, capital investments in our companies to get there. Whereas I think they're still focused on, hey, I've been doing this, you know, making the same widget for the last 20 years, the same exact way, and it's worked out okay. Um, I know I need the technology. I know I should look into video monitoring. I know I should look into software as a service. But the pain of switching and, mm. and changing our business model, um, I think, is very, very difficult if you look at the overall industry uh, demographic. And so I think that's the biggest piece of disagreement is the timing of when this evolution is going to have the biggest impact um, mm -hmm. for a lot of these owner operators. That makes a lot of sense. And, and then you asked me to clarify, right? You asked if I meant people in security or clients, what if we switch it to clients? Is there a disagreement? 
Yes. Yeah. I think there's a disagreement between um, the security, uh, which you had mentioned before, like the, the commonality of the the commodity of the word security. When they think about security, when you do a Google search for security guards, it's that traditional dedicated security guard working in access control point or on a foot mm -hmm. patrol. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's been gone for a long time. So there's a lot of options that are that are available that can solve their needs significantly better than that traditional service, but it's new. And so, you know, not a lot of folks want to be the innovator on the front line of testing this new technology, even though we've been doing it for the last 10 years and have serviced hundreds of thousands of, of people. Um, it's just getting them to understand that there's, um, there's multiple ways to attack this problem. And I take, I, when we're talking to clients, we use that kind of Netflix or Blockbuster to Netflix um, analogy or the mm -hmm. Walkman to iPod to iPhone in your music streaming services. Um, and I think that really helps helps click like, oh my gosh, okay. So so there is evolution happening and, and it's happening at a rapid rate, just like these other technology, consumer technology services and products have. Um, so I think it's more on the educational side and mm -hmm. also getting comfortable that they're not the first one that that's trying the service has actually been around for, for quite a long time. And so when we have those discussions and always introduce what's available, um, to me, that's where we get a big, big wow factor. Let me try it. I think this is amazing. And uh, customers, same customers for 10 years, you know, following that approach and innovating with us. That's amazing. So there's fear of the unknown initially. And then when they figure out it's not that unknown and, and there are sort of models that are similar, then they're really excited about it. And it sounds like you're making a lot of impact. Yeah, completely agree. Um, what's your advice, you know, and actually maybe what are your thoughts on for security guards? Um, what skill set should they focus on to continue to be relevant in the industry? Yeah, I think security guards, um, the word security guard to me um, has a high turnover rate. It's a job, not a career. And so when I think about you know, security officers or security professionals, um, that's a term that I would I prefer to use. And I think that keeping the the, the, the skill set up isn't so much as like tactical, having the latest and greatest mm -hmm. you know weapons or or tools or body armor or uniforms. Mm -hmm. um, it's really just doing a good job and showing up and being present mm -hmm. and wanting to have an impact. And I think you can mm -hmm. see a significant amount of growth um, from that. I and mean, a lot of our a lot of our team uh, supervisory and management team members have started as security officers. You know, wow. they don't have a company for two years, five years, 10 years, wow. and they grow up and now they're portfolio players and they work across multiple companies. And, uh, and it's just, you know, doing the right thing um, at the right time all the time. And I think that shows up well. So I think if you look at it as a career and not a job, mm -hmm. um, there's going to be a, uh, a fantastic opportunity for growth in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and it also depends on the company too. You know, we talked about some of those small mom and pop, you know, security companies, and those are great, great to work for. Um, and be a part of, but there's also not a lot of headroom to grow. Yeah. I think when you, when you, if you are a security professional looking for a career in the security services industry, you know, look at what is the, what's the team look like? What's their growth mm -hmm. strategy look like? Um, you know, are they going to stay local? Do they want to expand? And then do they have the, the, the resources to do so, right? Do they have the management team that has experience in scaling? Do they have the right, um, financial mechanisms in place? Do they have the right cash flow, the right funding? Mm -hmm. 
That makes a lot of sense. So, so I'm hearing a lot of, you know, staying really open and interested in growth opportunities, but also it feels like as you layer on tech, you can kind of upgrade your skills by learning how to work with the tech. Is that oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And so it sounds like there's an opportunity there. Um, this has been amazing. So educational. And I love that we've covered so much ground. Um, you know, you work in so many different areas. I'm sure I've missed a lot of things. So maybe we'll have you back at some point down the road to cover them. Um, but before we wrap up, uh, is there anything I haven't asked you that I wish I had, that you wish I had? No, it's a great opportunity. And I'm excited about what you're doing. I think it has tremendous opportunity. And I'm looking forward to uh, to listening to other guests that you have on the podcast. And I appreciate uh, your time and opportunity. And if there's anything you need, please let me know. Awesome. Um, thanks so much, Steve. So our listeners can find you and we'll have these all in the show notes. They can find you on LinkedIn. Um, we'll include the company website. We'll include the book. Anything else that we should mention? Any other place no. online where you're findable? No, that, right. that's about it. Awesome. That sounds great. Um, thanks so much, Steve. Really appreciate you joining us uh, and we'll stay in touch and talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of Security Download. Thank you for joining. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at securitydownload.live and be sure to follow on your favorite podcast app. 